Welcome to the official podcast of NASCA, the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Here you will find conversations, lectures, and thoughts on various topics involving controlled substances. Leading experts sharing their knowledge and ideas on today's medications, dangerous drugs, and substance abuse. NASCA is an association of state government agencies, along with various stakeholders, who oversee controlled substances. Through this association, we work together to make our country, our world, a safer place. We have an exciting show for you today. We wanted to get together with the executive director of NASCA and the president of NASCA to talk about what's going on with the organization and just give a little more insight as to what the committees do and those sort of things. Two guests are uh, Kathy Keough, who is the executive director of NASCA, and Joe Fontenot, who is our newly elected president of uh, NASCA. Let me just start with Kathy. If you could maybe just tell everybody a little bit about your background, and then we'll have Joe do that. So I have been involved in controlled substances issues for many years, I actually worked for the Massachusetts Department of Public Health and actually set up, set up one of the first prescription monitoring programs that was non-paper-based. We were the second state in the country. And I have been involved with NASCA as a member and an officer for many years and have assumed the role as executive director probably close to 20 years now. Joe, how about you? What's your background? Uh, my name is Joe Fontenot. As Alan said, I'm the current president of NASCA. I'm from Louisiana. I am the assistant executive director for the Louisiana Board of Pharmacy. One of my main roles as assistant executive director is I'm in charge of the state's controlled substance authority and for the issuance of controlled substance licensing in the state, as well as direct oversight over the state's prescription monitoring program been involved with NASCA since 2008. That's quite a bit. You guys have a lot of experience with NASCA. And just so most of the listeners, because I don't really talk about it too much in the podcast, this year I'm the uh, chairman of the executive board and and I also chair the education committee. You know, the three of us, you know, work together uh, pretty closely. And of course, we work with our executive board. So Kathy, why don't you explain what the executive board is, you know, how they're selected, and just give a kind of a brief overview of that. So the executive board is selected by vote by the membership, which is only state, only one vote per state, and they meet. There's a chair and there's officers, obviously, and there's members at large, and we meet on a fairly frequent basis on a one-hour conference call. We try to do as much as we can by email, but there's um, limitations to that. So we do have conference calls, I would say, every, generally every six weeks, sometimes more frequently, depending on what what is going on. And then we typically have an in-person meeting, which is what we call the mid-year meeting, once a year that's a two, typically a two-day long meeting where a conference call just really wouldn't cut it. And then it's sort of a roll up your sleeves, deal with some of the issues and, you know, moving the organization forward. 
in addition, at the the day the day before the annual conference starts, we also have an in-person executive committee meeting as well, taking advantage of we're already already there because we don't have a huge vast resources to have you know a lot more frequent meetings. Let's talk about the mid-year meeting for a minute um, because since I've been involved with NASCO, which I think was 2014. And then 2015 is when I first joined the board, and we always had uh, the mid-year meeting. And like you said, it's a chance for the board to get together and and really kind of move things forward with NASCA and the organization and make some of the decisions that are just really hard to do on conference calls. But our mid-year meeting, of course, this year took a hit, just like everything else with that COVID pandemic, um, and we had to postpone it. You know, Joe, let me let me ask you, how does that affect really do you think or you think we're gonna be able to get together and do it again and and how do you see the mid year meeting shaping? Well, we're certainly gonna try at the end of July to meet and uh it will be if we are able to meet in July, it will be delayed uh quite a bit because and timing is important. We really can't meet for sure any time past July because we'll be too close to the annual meeting. Uh, during our mid-year meeting, we cover some some items which are pretty time-sensitive. Uh, we try and update our NASCA strategic plan. Uh, we also try and review uh, revisions to our written policies. We'll go over nominations for honorary memberships, also in some cases brainstorm for potential resolutions for consideration review all the finances of the association and make recommendations for investments. Some of these things we were able to do after the bid year was canceled, but there's a lot of it that occurs face-to-face, and we, we really need to be in that, in that type of situation face-to-face so we can take care of a lot of these issues. So ultimately, uh, if we don't have it, it, we prefer not to miss out on this opportunity to have it, but if we have to, we'll we'll continue with business as usual for the association. Yeah, it makes it pretty hard. I mean, that mid-year meeting is pretty important, like you said, because we need to get together face-to-face and iron out or just hash out some of the things that we think we're going to face with NASCA, and then we vote on that at the, at the annual conference. That's the purpose of having our business meetings is to kind of go through with what the uh, the board sort of drafts at the mid-year meeting, so it's an important function, and you know, like you said, putting it off, you know, cut, makes it a really hard thing to do because then we can't pitch what we need to for voting for the members. You know, and since we're we're kind of here with this, you know, talking about the mid-year meeting, and we talk about the executive board a little bit. Each executive board member, you know, we're all involved with committees. And Kathy, maybe you could explain like the committees a little bit, like which one, you know, how many there are and and what they actually do. Actually, a really terrific question because I don't think we do it justice for the volunteer opportunities as well as the work that goes on from the various committees throughout the year. Because we try to do, you know, in little newsletters, we try to talk about some of the things that are going on within the committees, but it really only scratches the surface. So I guess first and foremost, it's all a volunteer committee, and it's nice that people step up to the plate 
to volunteer based on their interests or our needs. You know, sometimes it's, we recruit uh, liberally. So there are, there are, for each committee, there are chairs of each committee. And if you went on our website, you would actually find, so I'm not going to go into excruciating detail, but if you went on our website, which is www.nasca.org, and you clicked on executive committee, it will list the committee assignments, who's on their contact info, and a little bit about the committee in terms of the description, which I think is a, a useful tool for members and interested members to uh, take a look at. So we have several standing committees. We have a nominations committee, which is obviously looking at nominations for positions on the executive committee and officers. We have a resolutions and bylaws committee, finance committee, prescription monitoring program committee, and several ad hoc committees, which are membership, controlled substance authorities committee, education, the conference program planning committee, and the information technology and services committee. And I think it's important because each one has a very unique and specific thing that they do. So we have the conference committee, which differs than the education committee because the conference committee is really solely focused on that one annual conference we have each October, typically in October, where they're helping to review the, the conference evaluations from the previous year, think about timely topics and speakers format, whereas the education committee is looking to do initiatives that supplement what the program committee does or the conference does um, each year. So, for example, webinars or podcasts or other offerings that we do. The Controlled Substances Committee is relatively new and is actually working on doing a survey right now of uh, members particular to COVID-19 controlled substances issues. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on what each of the committees does, but the membership committee is looking, you know, is responsible for making recommendations on the travel scholarships and the Bill Ward Education Fund, working on the newsletter, as well as other sort of membership, uh, making sure that our database is correct and we have all the right contact info. Search and monitoring program obviously is focusing on issues very specific to PMPs. Finance committee is sort of my, you know, eyes and ears, make sure that everything is fine in terms of our investments and our accounting. And the resolutions and bylaws committee is looking for possible resolutions and bylaws changes, which is a very thankless job, but so important because it's all about the words in the bylaws. And sometimes you may think, you know, it's just not that important, but if it's not written in the bylaws, then we are sort of stuck. So it's, it's ironic that almost every year we've had some tweaks to the bylaws, which is a good thing. And mm -hmm. likewise, resolutions, they're 
seeking possible resolutions from the membership on things that we should be taking positions on. Joe, maybe you could tell us, like, how who chairs the committees? Like, how are they led? And is it your job as the president to select who chairs the committees and appoint them? How does that work? Actually, um, like Kathy alluded to earlier, the importance of our bylaws. In fact, in the bylaws, it dictates that, for instance, the vice president will be the chair of the Resolutions and Bylaws Committee. And this year, our vice president is Christy Frick from South Carolina, and she is chairing that committee. Same thing with the Finance Committee. The bylaws dictate that the treasurer will be the chair of the Finance Committee, and that's Josh Vinciguera from New York. He chairs that particular committee. The Nominations Committee, which is another standing committee, is chaired by yourself, Alan Alan McGill of Pennsylvania. And those are our standing committees. Outside of that, our ad hoc committees, the the membership and the chairs are selected by the president of the association. Do you know how often they meet, uh, roughly, the committees? The committees generally meet once a month, but every four weeks. In some cases, They'll meet more frequently. For instance, the Resolutions and Bylaws Committee, at the first part of the year, of the calendar year, that is, they may not meet quite as frequently, but toward the end of our year, I'll call it, just prior to the annual meeting, they have certain deadlines they need to meet for review of, for instance, proposed resolutions. They have to meet and gather those within so many days before the annual conference, get that to the executive committee and out to the membership, all on the time clock dictated by the bylaws. And same thing with proposed bylaw changes. They have to review those proposed changes, get that to the executive committee and out to the membership in a, in a certain timely fashion. That really pretty much about it. Yeah, and and they meet, when we talk about meet, we're actually obviously talking about usually a conference call. I don't know if any of the committees actually meet by a WebEx or Zoom or anything. I I know just the committees that I work on, it's it's all conference calls. You know, I guess the question, of course, is if we meet online, has the the pandemic affected any of the committees at all uh, since they're meeting online anyway? I'll answer that. No, they are busy as ever. I think probably in early April and to mid-April when things were really evolving in a negative way, people were so distracted with all of the things going on at work where they were trying to be responsive that I think there was a sense that people needed to take a step back from scheduling committees at that time, but certainly the committees are meeting on a fairly frequent basis. There was actually a a committee call today and several last week. So committee work is still going on behind the scenes, so I can assure you. Yeah, it actually, in some ways, it seems like it maybe picked up a little just because we couldn't do the uh, the mid-year meeting. So we've actually had quite a few more executive committee calls to sort of supplement what we need to do. Yes. Now, the last thing I want to talk about really is the annual conference. You know, it's really the the crown jewel of NASCA. Um, There's a lot of significance to it. So maybe just talk a little bit more about what the conference is for those, especially for those folks who maybe are new members or, you know, or just thinking about 
you know, joining us or maybe they just are listening and they haven't even heard of NASCA before and this is the first time. So maybe you could just explain why that conference is so important. So I'll actually start by saying that when I actually attended when I was a young pop, one of the first among showing my age, but among probably one of the first conferences um, that NASCA had, maybe it, it was like the 10th year, perhaps. It was relatively new and and really had a lot of learning that I needed to do, but a lot of networking that I really felt was important for my professional growth as well as growth in my position. So I would say probably one of the the two two things about the conference itself that I think is really critical is because it's such a niche issue, meaning controlled substances issues, it's a small but mighty group of people. In some states, there's only literally one person that does that. And it's always a good opportunity to have that connection with somebody else from another state. So if you're facing a similar issue or you're asked a question, you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I met you at the conference. You know, I was asked to do research on a particular issue. Do you have any experience? And if not, who should I talk to? And people are always, I believe, always more than willing to to help each other out. The second thing is, we put a lot of effort into the annual conference. As soon as the conference is over, we have our first program planning call the next month where we start planning the conference. We are actually, what is it, the middle of May, and we're almost, we've almost finalized our entire program for October because we do put a lot of thought into it. And I think those two things resonate. I've heard from many people that, it's the one conference they have to go to because it is so well thought out. I won't lie and say it's not a, it's not a short conference, but if you look at the topic and the speakers and the quality and caliber of that, I think it shows. And it's I think people have felt that it's just too difficult to 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 shorten it because of the breadth of topics and speakers that appeal to different facets of those in the controlled substances space. Joe, you know, one of the things that is kind of important to the whole thing, I mean, we do have business meetings, of course, in that conference along with the topics, but I think it's really the networking and, and sort of the, you know, how folks can get together that are industry folks as well as controlled substance authorities. So maybe you can just sort of give us an idea of what the plans are for this and where the conference is uh, this year. As of now, we are definitely moving forward with our planning for the conference. Knowing we're in the midst of COVID-19 and we don't know what the future holds for us, we are continuing to plan and we're making contingency plans just in case something occurs where we can't have it. But we, uh, we're moving forward with it. And like you said, the um, annual business meeting part of the conference is a must. And during our normal conference, it doesn't take the annual business meeting portion of it is a very small portion. We have to take care of our voting. We have to take care of our financial report. 
propose bylaw changes and resolutions like we discussed earlier. And the biggest part of our conference would be uh, the presentations. Our, they're timely and they're relevant in the world of state-controlled substance authorities. And, of course, there's that opportunity to network among all the state-controlled substance authorities, folks from, the, from federal authorities, DEA and, and the like, uh, the law enforcement community. We have a presence from, from those folks, as well as industry. But as of now, we are continuing to move forward as if we're going to have our annual conference in October. Yeah, and I really hope that's the case. I, I would you know, like to see, of course, it go again, just like get us all back for a variety of different reasons, not just NASCA. But, um, but this will be nice, and hopefully we'll be able to do that without any hitch. Uh, do you guys have anything else that you want to add before we sign off for this podcast? The only thing I would say is we... If you are, if, if anybody who's listening is interested in becoming a member of NASCA or becoming a sponsor, both of those, the information is on our website where you can download information about membership application, which is not solely open for state members. It's also associate members, as well as if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities. And Finally, we, we will start to have information about the conference on our website. There's a, a few things on there now, including the hotel registration and the conference registration fee. But we should be posting the uh, conference program, you know, I would say probably in the next month, if not sooner, even if it's just preliminary. You have anything you want to add, Joe? Uh, I would just encourage people to um, stay informed as it comes to our annual conference. If if you're thinking about going, we keep our website up to date with a conference tab. We have a conference tab for 2020 that they can find information about the conference, as well as perhaps subscribe to our newsletter to get current information on that upcoming annual conference. Well, thank you very much, Joe and Kathy, for doing the podcast and giving our listeners a little update on you know, what NASCA is and what we're doing for this year. I think it's uh, beneficial and I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. On behalf of the executive board of NASCA and our education committee, I want to thank our guests for coming on the podcast and sharing their knowledge and ideas. I also want to thank our platinum, gold, and silver sponsors. Without them, we could not provide educational opportunities such as this podcast. You can find all of our podcasts for free wherever you find your podcasts. The music for this podcast provided by Joseph McDade. And if you like Joe's music, please visit josephmcdade.com. And you can support Joe on Patreon. NASCA also invites you to join us at our annual training conference where we educate through networking, exchange of ideas, and by experiencing some of the best speakers on current topics and trends involving controlled substances. To learn more about NASCA, our conference, and educational programs, visit our website, nasca.org. I hope you learned something and moved forward. Please join us again on our next podcast.